You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. We're going to be in a verse that is well-beloved by many. Many of you know it by heart. It's one of the first verses we ever really learned for the most part. Uh, And that is John 3.16. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, this morning to John chapter 3, verse 16. I've been a preacher for a long time, and I've used John 3.16 several times, but I've never actually preached on John 3.16. Uh, so excited about that this morning. John 3.16 is a beloved verse, and it has been throughout church history. It's a verse that most believers know by heart, and in it we see the gospel, the essential truth of the good news in such a beautiful way. And I learned it as many others did in the King James Version, but instead of me just reading it today, here's what I want us to do. I want us all to say it together. So if you'll say it with me here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a verse that is loved and memorized for how simply and how beautifully it communicates to us God's love. And today is the day in Advent where we are thinking about and taking a moment to dwell on the fact of his love for us, that the one who made all things the one who sustains all things, the one who created the heavens and the earth and the stars and everything in them, every creature, every person, every life, that immense God loves all of us. He loves the world, yes, but also you specifically, intentionally, and individually. The truth of God's love is something simple enough for a child to understand. We teach our children a nursery rhyme, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We see that fact that Scripture speaks of God's love, but it's also complex enough, God's love is complex enough to keep us joyfully captivated for the rest of eternity. God's love isn't something that will grow stale or grow old. It's something that we can dwell in forever. And at Christmas is a time of year, and it's a story from darkness to light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all things in them, and they were good. God created man and woman, and it was good. There was harmony between God and man and man and woman and humanity and nature. All of it was as it should be except for a serpent. And with a single choice of self, a single choice of disobedience, a single bite of fruit, the universe hurled itself into chaos and the universe died. Order went to chaos, harmony went to inequality and life to death. And this brokenness is something that we are very much aware of. And a curse was placed on all things. But there in the moment of fallenness, there in the moment of brokenness, there in the garden, we see this passage in Genesis 3.15, the first gospel mention. And a curse was placed there, but we see this in Genesis 3, 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In the moment where the universe spiraled into chaos came the promise that a son of Eve, a descendant from the woman would defeat Satan. 
a descendant from the woman, would undo the brokenness. A a son of Eve would defeat the curse. And then in Genesis 4 and 5, we immediately see the ramifications of the curse. Children are born. They immediately turn on each other. Uh, We have the first murder that happens. You have sin growing in 4 and 5. Death increases. Children are born. They live. They get married. They have kids. They grow old. And then they die. A cycle that repeats throughout Scripture. Yet hope lived. God was on the move. He was doing things with a family that eventually grows into a nation. And all the while, this promise... This one who would rescue us from the curse is there and it's being expounded upon and it's growing as we move through the kings and the prophets all the way through the Old Testament. All the while looking for this son who will write everything. Throughout the law, we see him. Moses writes about him in the law. In Numbers 24, 17 is a such example. We see this. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. And then throughout the prophets, we see of this coming Messiah. Micah 5.2 is such an example. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. And then in Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6, we see this. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we would look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness, and like one from whom people hide their faces." He was despised, and we had no regard for him. However, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore, and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed." All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. And then verses 10 and 11. But the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. If he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout Scripture, in the midst of everything, in the story that is taking place, God is moving and God is doing, and all leading to this moment, this long-awaited-for moment where the Messiah would appear, where he would finally be here. And then it happened. Christmas morning. The long-awaited Son of God was at hand. The one whom we had been waiting for since the garden, since exile, since all of the Old Testament. The one who would save us, who would defeat the enemy, who would restore the universe to how it should be, was born in a manger on a cold, silent night. All because God so loved. Let's pray. 
Lord, this morning, as we dive into your word, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just be with us right now. Lord, that your peace would be present, uh, that your joy would be present, that we would find comfort uh, and counsel in your scriptures, Lord. And Lord, this morning, I pray that, uh, that you would uh, just speak to each person here, that you would move in their lives uh, and that you would draw them and continue to draw them to yourself. Lord, we love you and we thank you uh, for what you're doing here at Southside and we thank you for what you're doing here this morning. Lord, be with us in this service. Be glorified in all we do. In Christ's name, amen. The first thing I want us to see is for God so loved that he gave. God's love led to God giving. God gave the gift of his son. God didn't give a lesser gift. God didn't give something uh, small to us. God gave the most important, the most valuable gift that he could give, that being Jesus. Christmas is a time of year where we always think about uh, presents and we think about all the different things we have to be excited for. We think about bows and uh, wrapping paper and presents under trees, sending cards to each other. And maybe that's buying a whole lot of gift cards, right? Depending on uh, what's going on with your family. Uh, different things like that. And this is a time of year where we keep our uh, delivery people, we keep our mailmen, we keep them busy, right? So we appreciate all of our delivery drivers out there uh, keeping everything going. But I I know we make it busy for him. It's a fun time of year. We have that tradition of giving gifts. And I think part of that tradition of giving gifts is for the reason that God gave. Because God gave, we in some ways want to reflect that. And I remember a year where I received one of the presents that I was super excited for, especially at the time. It stands out to me at this moment anyway. It was a surprise for my dad, and I think he knows this, but I got like really excited about it. Uh, and so I knew where he hid things, as probably most of the kids do uh, in the room. Students, y'all know where like your parents hide stuff at. Um, and so I, I knew where he was hiding it at. And so I peeked at it beforehand, and I saw that I was getting a full drum set for Christmas. Uh, and I was thrilled. I was super excited. I think he knows that. Uh, if not, surprise. Um, but I, I knew about it beforehand, and that led to even more excitement because I knew what was coming. It was something that I was wanting, uh, and it was at hand. And in the same way, God gave us a gift that we were expecting. God gave us a gift that he had promised, and it was finally at hand. But it was so much more awesome than just a drum set or any other gift. It was Jesus. God gave the gift of his son. See, God so loved us that he pursued us. While we were far from him, while we were broken, while we were yet his enemies, God pursued us. He gave us a priceless gift that changes everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in The Cost of Discipleship. It's only because he became like us that we can become like him. As we apply this this morning, God loves you individually and specifically. Here's the thing. God's love is for all of us. God loves us all, but that doesn't stop his love for you being unique and specific and individual. God gave Jesus for the world, yes, but God gave Jesus for you. It was a specific gift for you. He was. Secondly, we give because he gave. So this Christmas season, what is something that you can do to show the love of Christ for someone else. I want to celebrate with y'all how proud I am of us as a church family. You are a giving church. 
I am so proud of you all and how we have gave in these last two love offerings. I'm not going to say the, the totals for those, but uh, we have had a wonderful um, turnout and just participation in those love offerings. And to me, that shows the heart of the church, uh, that we care about people, that we love people. Uh, and so I'm just re- immensely proud of you, church family, uh, and how we have given uh, both um, in these last two love offerings. Uh, you all have just been a tremendous blessing, and I want you all to hear that uh, this morning. So maybe it's giving in that way, but maybe it's giving a gift, uh, even husband and wife. Uh, maybe that's a gift of forgiveness. Maybe that's a gift of, you know, uh, just doing something to show your love and appreciation for the other person this holiday season, this Christmas. Maybe that's doing something that you know that your spouse uh, and that communicates to your spouse that you love them. Maybe that's a coworker or a friend, and maybe you show love by sharing the gospel. Uh, maybe you know they're going through a tough season. Maybe you know they don't know Jesus. And so sharing love is sharing Jesus with that person. But how can you give in such a way, how, how can you do something in such a way this Christmas that Jesus is evident in what you are doing? Maybe that's helping someone who needs help. Maybe that's being long-suffering with one of those crazy aunts or uncles or cousins around the Christmas table. Thirdly, here we see an application, though. God gave his best for you. God gave his best for you. And what that means this morning is that you matter. You're important. Maybe this is a season where you feel overlooked, you feel neglected, uh, or maybe you just feel heavy. There's a lot of stuff happening uh, even this morning, uh, but there's stuff happening in your life individually, whether it's medical or financial or worries of the future or something else. Jesus is your reminder this Christmas that you matter. God loves you and he gave Christ for you. So you can rest assured that you have worth and that you've not been forgotten. Secondly, then, we see that God loved the whosoever. God loves the whosoever. God loved the world, his creation, everything that he made, but God loves the whosoever. In John 3, 14 through 15, so immediately before where we're at in John 3, 16, we see a story from the Old Testament. This is a reference uh, in the Old Testament here to a moment where uh, there was sin in the camp and uh, there was destruction that had come into the camp and God had provided a way for them to have salvation. And so Jesus references that moment here in 3.14 through 15. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. In this passage in Numbers, death had come into the camp. But God gave a way for the people to be saved from that moment by looking to this image that was lifted up. Those who looked on it and had faith in the Lord would live. And Jesus then uses this to describe himself and his death on the cross. Those who believe will be saved. Jesus lifted up on the cross is for you this morning. And so, For each one of us, it's a reminder to look to Christ and live. Look to Jesus and live. Hebrews 7.25 says this, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Uttermost here, I believe, means two key things. First off, it means completely, to save fully. 
Jesus doesn't just save you partially. This is one of the many reasons I believe in the security of the believer. When Jesus actually saves you, he doesn't just save part of you, he saves you. It's done. He is doing it. Uh, in, verse, uh, in Philippians 1 through 6, we see this. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Those he saves, he saves completely, every part, to the uttermost of you, all the brokenness inside, whether that be mental, spiritual, emotional, and even physical. Salvation we know in the sense of being made right with God and forgiven now and the idea of justification. We know we're in this process of sanctification, growing to be more like Christ. We have the ultimate promise then of glorification and resurrection, where we will be like him, where the salvation will be complete. We will have a new body. Glorification means then the complete restoration of the entire person, even in the body when we think of the resurrection. So every part of you. But to the uttermost also means in he can save you no matter how far you think you've fallen, no matter how distant you may feel, no matter what you've done in your life. Do you think, I've done too much wrong. He can't save me. Jesus can't reach me. Yes, he can. No matter uh, what has happened, God can reach you. The murderer, the adulterer, the liar, the addict, the gossip, whatever labels have been put on you and whatever sin that you struggle with, you are not too far to be out of his reach. Jesus can save you. Look to him and live. A great hymn of the faith that I think captures this so well is Amazing Grace. And it says it this way, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. As we apply this this morning, his grace is amazing for so many different reasons. First off, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, while we were distant, while we were uh, apart from him, God loved us and drew near to us. Secondly, it was for all of us. We are all born broken. We're all born sinners. We're all born with sin problems. And this gospel message is for each one of us here this morning. The gospel message is for each one of you. We're all messed up, but Jesus can save each one of us. So look to him and live. And then thirdly, the gospel is specifically for you. Not when you just start following Jesus, but throughout your whole life. When we fall short, when we mess up, when things don't go our way, the gospel is for us in those moments. When life gets hard, when life hurts, when there's pain, the gospel is for us in those moments. Whether you're just starting your walk with the Lord today or whether you've been walking with him for 80 years, the gospel is for you. And the gospel is for us each moment of our life. Thirdly, then, we see this this morning. Not only is it for whosoever, but we also see then eternal life. Shall not perish, 
but have everlasting life. So what does it mean to perish? The verb used here is the opposite of what is meant for salvation. To perish doesn't mean just to end, but instead to fail completely in fulfilling God's purpose. And consequently, to be excluded forever from his fellowship. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says this, Positive belief in Christ is necessary. To perish, all that one has to do is nothing. Our natural destination as sinners is perishing. The place that life and its normal, uh, the normal end of life is that place of perishing. But the good news is this morning is that that isn't where the story ends. To perish is not just to cease, but to completely fail in that futility, that loss of everything that makes existence worthwhile. In our brokenness, that is an end of sin and death and hell. That is the end of that path. But thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us another way, a way of life eternal. So what is eternal life then? Eternal life is not just talking about its length, but also the quality of that life. So not just the quantity and the fact that we will live forever, but also in the the value of that life. In our state then, eternal life is the exact opposite of what I just mentioned with perishing. It's something new to us. It's something eternal in length, yes, but it's also a deepening and a growing experience. So think of it not only in the sense of width, but also in depth. The kind of life that God himself has, being united with him, then we have the same kind of life that he has, a new quality of life that doesn't fade. It doesn't perish. It's imperishable. It's always full of newness, always full of fullness. The believer then becomes free, imperishable, and approved by God in right relationship with the creator of the universe who made us for himself. C.S. Lewis says this, once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? As we apply this, eternal life isn't just something future. Eternal life begins the moment you believe. The moment you believe you have then been made alive. And being made alive, we share then in that newness of life. So as soon as faith is applied, you became new. It's not just a future hope, but a present reality. We get to experience even now in many different ways as we draw closer to Christ and as we conform to be more like him, we get to experience things in life like his abiding peace. The fact that he is with us. Joy that surpasses understanding in moments where things are heavy, in moments where things feel dark, that there is a uh, joy that endures and continues. We experience his mercy and grace and his endless love. And all that we get to experience not only then, but we get to experience that now. Secondly then, for the believer until the Lord returns, we know this fact that death has lost its sting forever. It is no longer viewed as an ending. Death is no longer where the story ends, but where the story in a sense begins, especially for eternity. That sting of death has been removed as a result of what Christ has done. 
Instead, it's viewed as a doorway, the start of something new. And should the Lord tarry? If when the Lord returns, we know we will be with him, but should the Lord tarry, this is something we will all experience. We will all face that reality of having to face death. But for us, for the believer, we know that to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord, that we will be with him where he is. And that's part of our hope. That's our hope this morning as we think about the nearness of death, but that's also our hope as believers that everything that we've longed for and hoped for in the gospel and in Christ, that that we will see that. We will behold him face to face and there will be no more tears. All of that will be done away with. So this morning, remember the sting of death has it been removed because of Jesus. Thirdly, with God's life now in you, what is he wanting to do in your life? In this moment, is there something that God is wanting to grow in you? Some way that he is preparing you for heaven. Some way that he is preparing you to be more like him. Some way that he is chiseling you and shaping you for eternity. Is there some virtue in your life that he is growing? Or is there some vice in your life he is removing? As the Lord works in your story and works in your life, trust him, believe in him as he shapes you and remember that God loves you. From beginning to end, from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament into the gospels, all the way through the New Testament and the Revelation, from beginning to end, God has proven and displayed his love and his love is clearly evident, clearly displayed in Jesus Christ. Just as we celebrate the first advent this morning, we eagerly await the second, that Jesus is coming again. And as we are reminded of his first arrival, we look forward to the day where we will be forever, eternally with the one who loved and loves us. Revelation 22, one through five says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve them, him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This morning as you're here, how is the Lord wanting you to respond today? Later in the same chapter in Revelation, we see where the bride and the spirit say, come, come and drink from the water of life. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And today, as we are here, as we think about Christmas, but as we also think about the brevity of life, the invitation for you this morning is to look to Jesus and live. He is the one who changes everything. He is the one who makes us new and who gives us future and gives us hope. And he is where we will be with him one day. One day we will be with him and we will be with those we've loved who have went on. So this morning, how would the Lord have you to respond to this message? 
Maybe God's led your story here to this very moment to see the course and the direction of your life change, to see your story change. Maybe it's a difficult season that you're walking through uh, this season and God would have you to trust him. God is faithful. Maybe he's calling you to have bravery and to rely on him in the situations you face. Many of you are facing difficult moments this morning, whether it's family or medical, financial, so many different things. And my prayer is that you would trust him as he's working in your story. Today, the altar will be open. uh, And I pray that you would respond. You can respond where you are. Uh, We're gonna have Amazing Grace play in just a moment. Uh, But I'll be here to talk with anybody who needs to talk. Uh, If you just wanna come pray, uh, either for something that the Lord's moving in your life, or you would just like to pray for Renee and the family. Um, I'll be up here uh, for whatever you need. I'll ask Barry to come join me as well. uh, And we'll both be available to speak. So at this time, let me pray for us. Uh, and then we'll have Amazing Grace.